Let's return this morning to 1 Timothy 4 and 5. The gospel of Jesus Christ been given to us that we might be saved and become a godly people. Godliness is one of the main themes of this book. And not only must Timothy himself be godly and his fellow leaders, but they must teach, command and teach that true godliness to the congregation. So we're moving from Timothy now to the work in the congregation from chapter four to five. Let's start to read at chapter four, verse 11, page 1179. Page 1179, chapter four, verse 11, and we'll read through five or 16. Our text is verses one through 16 of chapter five. Four verse 11, command and teach these things. True godliness. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders lay their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Do not rebuke an older man but encourage him or exhort him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she's brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So I, I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households and give the adversary no occasion for slander for some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Is God's word, congregation. May he bless us by it. (laughs) 
beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder if you know the meaning of the word shepherdology? No. Shepherdology? I didn't know the meaning of that word either. I'd never heard of that word until I discovered it in the title of a book written by John MacArthur on pastoral care in the church, written probably somewhere in the 80s, shepherdology. About how God wants shepherds to do pastoral care in his church, the study of shepherding or pastoral care, study of pastoring. Well, that's what's going on in chapter five, shepherdology, study of pastoring. Paul has already set forth who should lead the church, pastors, elders, and deacons, chapter three. What kind of men they should be, how they should keep a close watch on themselves and train themselves for godliness, chapter four. But now he moves into the congregation. Now you need to go out and do your visits. You need to command and teach these things to God's people. Practice them yourself first before you can teach them. But now go out and teach them. And what you see especially coming through here is the love and care of the Lord Jesus Christ, the true shepherd of the sheep, the ultimate pastor, the ultimate elder, the ultimate deacon. That he shines through here in the manners, the way that the leaders of the church should take care of all people of all ages and particularly of the widows. And then later in the chapter of the elders themselves and in chapter six then of slaves. He goes through those Four categories, first people of all ages, then widows, then elders, and then slaves. And we're just going to look at the first two today with God's help. People of all ages, careful to all, and then widows, caring for widows, and then committing widows to service. Careful to all. Now, lots of things needed to be set in order in the church here at Ephesus. Some things were in disarray. And so a number of rebukes and exhortations were needed to older men and younger men, older women and younger women. How are we gonna do this? Lots of visits by pastors, elders, and deacons at Ephesus. And of course, this is the need for the church in all ages. Lots of visits need to be made. Lots of talks need to be had. Lots of instructions, rebukes, corrections, training, encouragements. Now, the first thing that Timothy has to remind the congregation, command and teach them, is godly manners. And how you rebuke and exhort members of the congregation. Always to remember three things. Respect, dignity, and purity. Respect, dignity, and purity. No matter who you're pastoring. He's going to say a lot more about that in First and Second Timothy. But it's easy for a church leader to speak inappropriately to a member of the congregation, to get reckless, to get careless, and not treat one another as we should. And then Christ himself 
and the love he shows me and the care he gives me does not shine through me and I become a Christ blocker rather than a Christ communicator, sharer. Remember how Timothy, verse 12, must set an example for the believers. First in his speech, and that's coming out here. In his conduct, in love and faith and purity. And that's going to be explained now in this chapter. Here's an example of how he must apply this in his conversation with the older and the younger. Do not rebuke an older man, he says, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. The idea of rebuke or exhort carries through the whole verse. And then honor widows who are truly widows. That instruction about caring for all, being careful to all, for all. So tone is important in ministry. And each one must be spoken to according to his or her station in life. If you must bring a word of exhortation to an older man, speak to him as if he were your dad. And that assumes you honor your dad. If you must exhort an older woman, speak to her as you would talk to your mom. And if you must exhort or rebuke a younger man, treat him as you would your brother or a younger woman as your sister in all purity, he adds. The Holy Spirit gives a special word of caution about how church leaders relate to younger women in all purity. Let our relationship be without even a hint of impurity. Don't ever cross the lines of inappropriate behaviors or speech. Don't allow pastoral warmth and sensitivity morph into any kind of physical or emotional intimacy. Don't allow someone to become overly dependent on you or to get too close to you in an intimate way. You can see in a chapter like Romans 16 where Paul speaks about his close friendships with both men and women that he knew how to do this and how to do this well. They were his personal friends. So it's not that he avoided them to stay safe. Got to stay away from them. No. But he stayed safe in how he spoke to them and worked with them. Notice here also the attention given to age and gender in relationships. The church is not to be treated like a flat organization where everybody's the same. No, people have different stations, different ages, different genders, and we must respect that. We must honor that and treat people accordingly because we're known in Western culture for flattening things out and, and recognizing no distinctions and really having no respect. We're a very disrespectful culture. And God wants the church to shine as a distinct society that has Christian manners and how it talks to people, how we talk to one another. Leaders and all God's people with one another. And notice also how Christ has formed us into a family. You're my father, you're my mother, you're my brother, you're my sister, as Jesus said 
when people came to him saying, your father or your mother and your brothers and sisters are here to see you, he says, who are my mother and my brothers and my sisters? Whoever does the will of God is my mother, my brother, and my sister. Well, that's the way it is in the body of Christ. That's, that's your, really your first family. Think of how Paul said in Romans 16, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and also his mother, who's been a mother to me also. There's a lot of relational wisdom condensed here in two short verses. This is godliness, practical godliness. Brothers and sisters, godliness is spiritual. It's about being in the word of God and in prayer. But godliness is also social. It's relational. It's how we treat, how we talk. We treat one another. Very important part of being in Christ and living out of him. He gave his life for me. He loved me and died for me. He shows me respect and dignity, even though I don't deserve it. And I am to now live this out in my life with God's people and really with all my neighbors, but now particularly in shepherding, in shepherdology. This is the gospel on display. We are Christ carriers. That is indeed if Christ lives in you. If none of this is part of your life, we need to go to the source. Remember the mystery of godliness, Christ? Chapter three, verse 16. Who became flesh? who died, who rose, who ascended, who sent out the gospel. He's the source. Let's go to him to get this flowing through our veins and, and to keep it flowing, right? keep coming to him because I can get hardened, I can get callous, I can get you know, impatient. Caring for widows, secondly. Paul mentions another group in the congregation that needs special attention, respect, and dignity, and special care. Honor widows who are truly widows. Now, the word widow in the Greek is actually a little bit Broader than that, it refers to any woman without a husband, including a single woman and single moms. Okay? Any woman without a husband, including single women and single moms. The word honor reminds us of the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. And the care of widows, we know in the whole Bible, is a big deal to God. In Exodus 22, for example, God says, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. 
If you mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. God has a special place in his heart for widows, for single moms, for single women, and really for all the afflicted. The Bible sometimes goes wider than that. And women without the support of a husband, especially in that culture, that meant you were destitute. You were without any financial support. You're very vulnerable and tempted to find illicit ways to to make a dollar or to get refuge somewhere. It really led a lot of people astray. And so the church must provide, provide that refuge and that protection. It's still true that they're often preyed upon and, and need extra care. And God rightly has a name of being their protector. Again, Psalm 68. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. That's actually Deuteronomy 10. He's awesome, he's great, and he's mighty, and how does he show his power? He executes justice for the widow and the fatherless. He uses his might to care for the weak. That's our Savior. That's why he came and died on the cross. That's what he's like. That's who he is. And then Psalm 68. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows as God in his holy habitation, God settles the lonely in family. It's very important to God and to our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember who one of his last acts as he was dying on the cross and, and totally absorbed, you would think, in, in agony. He sees his mother and gives her to the care of his beloved disciple, John, his widowed mother. And how Jesus offered care and healing to many widows and and needy women and rebuked the Pharisees for devouring widows' houses. And because it's a big issue for God the Father and God the Son, it should be a big issue in the church. We know that that was one of the first struggles in the early church, right? In Acts 6, we read that some widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution, They had no one to support them and the the church didn't stand in the gap for the Grecian widows. They were giving special attention to the Jewish widows. A bit of racism going on or ethnic preference. And so the first deacons then, remember, were ordained to oversee this matter to be sure that nobody was being overlooked particularly with respect to the afflicted, the widows. And then you see what gospel peace and joy and flourishing came to the church when this reproach, God lifted this reproach off them and the widows were being cared for. So God's calling us to care for the widows. But the first line of defense for widows is what? They're their own biological families. Look at verse four. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own husband or their own household and to make some return to their parents for this is pleasing in the sight of God. For two reasons. 
Family first must take care of widows. Two reasons. It's godliness. It's part of everyone's training in godliness. They must learn to show godliness to their own household. It's part of being in God's gymnasium. And so by reminding families of their task, you're helping families grow in Christ. James 1 says that this is godliness in religion, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained before the world. You remember how the Pharisees had the show of piety that ignored the needs of their aging parents and Jesus said, you're breaking the fifth commandment. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me because you're not taking care of your parents. And there's a second reason. There's a second reason that families must first take care of their parents. It's a return for what they have done for us. To make some return to their parents, it says. They have sacrificed much to take care of you when they are young, and now it's your turn to return the favor by caring for them when they're older. You know, it's more important than your career and savings plan, isn't it? Oh, I can't think of a time where it's more important for the church to shine the light of Christ than today, where parents shelve They marginalize, they set aside their old folks, whether they're still together or widowed or widowers, and say, we come first. We don't have time for you. We don't have money for you. We don't have energy for you. We're too busy living our lives for ourselves. And what a terrible witness of Christ. And if you look ahead to verse 8, If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So it may be immediate family like a parent or a grandparent. It may be even extended family like an aunt or an uncle or an orphaned niece or nephew who has no one to care for them. And if you say you're a Christian, if I say I'm a Christian and I don't take them in and I don't advocate for them in their medical care and I don't fund the the costs of their care like the good Samaritan who paid for the care of the bruised and bleeding man and then promised to come back later and pay whatever was still owed. I'm not functioning as a Christian. I'm denying the faith. That is not who Christ is. That is not how he treated me. That I'm not valuing him. And if I'm not valuing him, do I even have him is really what it's coming down to. And I'm worse than an unbeliever because it's understandable that pagans would treat their relatives that way. But you're a Christian. And if you treat your relative that way, it's not only wicked, it's hypocrisy. And then you're worse than an unbeliever. If 
It's such a negation of Christ for us to bypass our parents and our needy relatives congregation. And it's such a promotion and advertisement of Christ when we love them, take them in and go out of our way to help them. Because they're in need. Because they belong to us. God has given them to us and us to them. Because it's godliness. This is what it means to look like Christ. Again, godliness is a spiritual thing, but also social, relational thing. So he says, honor those who are truly widows. Now, he's not denying that widows are actually widows if their family takes care of them. They're no longer, no, he calls them widows in verse four, but they're truly widows in terms of the church's care and responsibility, financial responsibility and support if they have nobody to take care of them. Those, he says, who are left all alone. You see that there, those who are left alone. They are the ones who are truly widows. They have no safety net, no one to provide for them, no grandchildren or children or grandchildren. If they do a family, the family has abandoned them. They're without adequate pension, inheritance, or any outside support. If secondly, she has set her hope on God and continues in supplication and prayers night and day, it means she's a woman of faith. She's living as a true Christian in faith and prayer. And thirdly, if she's not obviously a false Christian who's trying to use the church, but she's dead and self-indulgent, even though she lives, you might say, a spiritual zombie. We can be there, right? Where you say you're a Christian, you're physically alive, but you're spiritually dead. And if such a person's just using the church but not interested in living a godly life, is living the life of an unbeliever, well, then they should not get support. It sounds maybe harsh to us in our day. But it's very clearly part of godliness, part of true shepherdology. But command these things, he says in verse seven, so that they may be without reproach. The church may be without reproach. That the church may avoid having a bad name in the community is what that means. When Christian families take care of their own relatives and household. When the church takes care of the ones who are truly widows and watches over them. That's when the church shows Christ in the community. And that's our calling, brothers and sisters. The world is truly watching the church by our sacrificial love in which we care for those around us. We show that we're cut from a different cloth than the world is. And we show we're Christ's own children and that we love as we're loved by our God. And while the world focuses on taking care of yourself, and spending your money on yourself and your time on yourself and pampering yourself and putting your own house and vehicles and vacations ahead of the care of others. 
So we don't have enough time and resources left for mom or dad or for the deacons. No, the church puts the care of others before ourselves. When the early church stepped up to appoint deacons, who then made sure that no widows were overlooked, that brought much blessing to the church. You can read of that in Acts 6. And the word of God continued to increase, it says there, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests even became obedient to the faith. Christ got a great name. Serious business. Powerful witness. And the essence of godliness. Thirdly, he also speaks about committing certain widows to service. Paul goes a step further in the church's relationship to widows. He speaks of the enrollment for widows, or what some translations call the list of widows. In verses 9 and 10, he says, let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age. And then again, in verses 11 through 15, he speaks of widows who should not be enlisted or enrolled, verse 11, but refuse to enroll younger widows, especially for three reasons, refuse to enroll younger widows who are under 60. Number one, age, they still have a lot of life in front of them and there's a greater likelihood that they'll get remarried and not be able to keep a long-term vow of commitment to the church. You don't want them to break their vows of service. So age. Number two, worldliness. Many of them were getting caught up in idle lies of gossip and being busybodies. Getting, even being promiscuous. And so they needed to build up you might say, proven character and trust. And then thirdly, marriage. He says it would be better for them, the younger ones, to get married. And you should urge them to do so. To bear children, verse 14. Manage their households and give the adversary no occasion for slander. So they should not be put on the list, younger widows. But older widows should be enrolled. Enrolled? Some say it means to be put on the list of those who receive support. Okay, so if you're under 60, no support. None of those requirements are listed in the earlier part of defining who's truly a widow. That can't be it. The word enroll in the Greek was used in common Greek to mean being enlisted for service in the army. We might say being enrolled also in a college or university. You're in the database of those who are there for a purpose. You're, you're committed to that institution for some specific task. And that's what it means really to be enrolled is to be enlisted. Like a soldier in the army or a student in a school. The word itself indicates then that older widows are to be put on a list of doing special service in the church. Again, some requirements. They must be settled in their widowhood due to age. They must be not less than 60. 
Number two, they're known for their good works. Again, verse 10, having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, has devoted herself to every good work. I think of a woman like Tabitha or Dorcas in the town of Joppa where it says she was full of good works and acts of charity, Acts 9.36. So she's got a record and a reputation for this. A name for doing well at helping others and can be trusted to be caring and confidential. That's also very important for this task. And humble, washing the feet of the saints. Humble enough to do menial tasks. And they should be put on the list or enrolled or commissioned or committed to the special task of caring for others in the church. Some churches have called these enrolled widows the order of nurses. That tends to be in the Lutheran background, the order of nurses. Others have called them deaconesses, not meaning women who are ordained. For 1 Timothy 3 says, let deacons each be the husband of one wife. Or in the Korean Presbyterian church, they're called kwansa. But especially in the days before hospitals, people needed lots of personal home care, which seasoned mothers were especially qualified to do when they were widows. And so the list of widows in the history of the church has often been under the direction and supervision of the deacon. So we're not talking about an ordained office, but a special task and commitment to serve in the church under the authority and supervision of the church and particularly of the deacons. One person writes, widows had a distinctive identity within the early church. There were large numbers of them and by the third century they formed an official order in the church. These widows gave themselves to prayer. They nursed the sick. They cared for the orphans. They visited Christians in prison. They evangelized pagan women and they helped disciple female converts. They were very busy in the life of the church. By the Middle Ages, this treatment of widows, both in caring for them and committing them to service, was totally gone. And John Calvin, in his commentary and his institutes, mourns this. And he was even alarmed that in the church at Geneva, where he pastored, they had not restored this this care for widows and this calling widows to serve, like Scripture says, and Maybe we haven't today either. Something we need to think about, brothers and sisters, in terms of shepherdology, in terms of what God's word requires for service in the church of Christ, Christ Christ-like service. God's will for us is that we show Christ in the way all the needy are cared for. And we need to use whatever means the Bible has given to us to order and arrange and establish this care. And may God give us that grace to be godly in spiritual things, but also godly in social things. In the way as families that we take care of our aging parents, and the way we pastor the flock, the way we care for widows and single moms and for the needy, and the way that we also 
commit God's people to caring for one another in the body of Christ. Hasn't Christ taken such excellent care of us and doesn't he? Let us also then be committed for Christ's sake to taking excellent care of one another. Younger men, older men. Younger women, older women. All God's people, amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you for your good word. Again, it's a word we need. We pray that you will use it to shape us in the way of godliness. We want to think and behave more and more like Christ himself. Thank you for your excellent care for us. You gave your life for us. And now day after day, you continually step into our lives with daily mercies. Help us in the same way to be involved in the lives of our brothers and sisters in the faith, older and younger and especially those with extra needs. Help us to love one another as we are so loved, and may the world be able to see Christ is our Savior. We are his. Amen.